go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. My name is Hal Bryan, I'm one of your hosts, and I'm EAA's Managing Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. Joining me today across the table, it's Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. And Tom, uh, as uh, as always, thanks to the, the magic of the internet and modern technology, we're joined today uh, by a guest uh, that... Uh, Let's just say we're really glad that we could get our schedules to sync up because this is a man always on the go, uh, somebody that I've been looking forward to talking to for uh, for quite some time. Um, I, I would say it's safe to say one of the one of the best known home builders out there uh, right now, Mike Patey. Mike, welcome to the Green Dot. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Well, it's uh, it's terrific to have you. So. Um, you know, a lot of what we want to do today is talk uh, talk some about uh, about your your latest creation, Scrappy. But before we before we get there, uh, give us a little bit of background for those who uh, who maybe haven't been following your YouTube channel and and your other projects for years and years. Uh, give us a, a little bit of an idea of how you first got involved in aviation. Was that something that you were into as a kid? That sort of thing. Um, yeah, as a kid, I would say it was probably like most kids, not. Uh, I ever look, always looked in the sky, always wanted to fly, but not, um, I don't think any more than anybody else. And it wasn't until I was uh, in my 20s that uh, I have an identical twin brother and we had a twin moment. Two of us, uh, two different states. I ended up at an air show with a father-in-law, my brother at, uh, at home, all of a sudden started thinking airplanes and uh, went to randomly, never talked about flying, never had any discussion about becoming pilots as twins and and uh, he randomly that day went to the Provo Utah airport found a flight instructor started talking to him and by the end of the day me at an air show in California um, and him at an airport um, uh, he called me up and says I got this crazy news and I said you got to hold on I got to tell you something I've been walking around airplanes all day I didn't know you could just go and like get a pilot's license for fun. You don't actually have to fly commercial as a job. Um, you can just do it because you want to. And it was like this epiphany. I was so excited. And he says, I can't believe that. I'm here at an airport. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I've been thinking airplanes all day. This makes a lot more sense. So I don't know how those weird things happen or just a, a one in a in a 20-year experience. That in one day, we both flipped the aviation switch at the same time. And before I got home from California, he had found a 172 on the field and purchased it and already had his flight lesson. And that's how we started. Wow. <laughs> that That's amazing. So it was, uh, it was just one of those, uh, I, I guess that's the kind of, I, I, I guess I wouldn't know, but that's the kind of thing that happens frequently when you're a twin. You know, I think it makes me sound a little crazy to say that, but <laughs> yeah, it it's a weird twin thing. It's... Some people say uh, you can sense things, and and we do. I I don't I don't know how to explain it, and I don't want to sound crazy, but um, if uh, if I'm not feeling great and I don't know why, I'll call up and make sure that my brother's doing okay, and he'll <laughs> usually tell me uh, what's on his mind and what's troubling him, and and uh, vice versa. So somehow uh, either we're uh, lucky often, or or we're somehow connected and we can't explain yeah, it. It's just going a, on. I'm gonna just call it a twin thing. <laughs> twin oh, thing. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. So who passed their check ride first? Uh, I did. Um, he started flying first, and I said, "Well, you started first. I'm gonna finish first. So <laughs> <laughs> we've been racing ever since. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. So what was your uh, what was your sort of career path from there? Uh, Mike, you, 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 one of part of your epiphany was that you don't have to fly commercially. So you, you got into into aviation, and did you pursue that to the commercial extent and go on from there? Or what, what, what did your career take you? Uh, well, at the time, I had a Mark and I had a couple business together. We um, we were in our early twenties. Uh, we had a couple hundred employees by that point, um, and uh, various businesses. We manufactured uh, hot tubs with an older brother and we did uh, uh, decks and gazebos in a construction company. So we were, uh, we didn't see it as a career path. And I think that's what got us so excited was we knew our career path was the, was well underway. And, um, and this was about fun, about, you know, experiencing life and going anywhere you want, whenever you want, 
or just flying around in a circle at 10,000 feet for hours and just grinning ear to ear. So it had no career path intent. And I think that's what, what hooked us. Um, and I love the career path option. And uh, one of my sons may be going down that path. I'm really excited about as a, as a great aviation career. I think it's a great path for people. Um, and for Mark and I, it was just a passion, of a love of flight. So skipping ahead a little bit here, how did you get, um, obviously you're, you're known as, uh, as, as Hal said, you know, one of the biggest ambassadors for, uh, for recreational aviation out there right now. Um, how did you get involved with, uh, with, with social media and, uh, and your YouTube channel and all that? Oh, that was just a fluke. Um, my kids were telling me, dad, you should put some of these airplanes on YouTube and, uh, and I literally did some silly edits uh, on my iPhone. Matter of fact, almost the entire Draco build series I did, um, if not all of it. Matter of fact, almost all of it. And then I got some help along the way and actually started working on a computer. But it was all done on an iPhone with a free app I downloaded for free, trial app without all the functions. <laughs> and I started editing, hey, look, I'm building this airplane. And uh, who knew? Um, people started watching my my silliness, and and I had built a, a an army airplanes before that one, but uh, I think that's the one that um, kind of connected and and started me down the road of YouTube and sharing my love of aviation. And you know, starting from uh, from that uh, that very straightforward beginning, uh, what is your current uh, follower, uh, or I should say, subscriber count on YouTube these days? Um, I don't. I don't really watch it much. It's probably between quarter million and approaching three hundred thousand, somewhere in there. That's re that's remarkable. Uh, you think when you think in the, obviously that's an international platform and everything else, but uh, when you look at the, the number of of active pilots in the United States, for example, being six hundred thousand, and obviously you've got an audience that that reaches beyond that. But, but you could say in one, one way of saying it, saying it, well, every other pilot in the country, you know, subscribes to you in terms of just in terms <laughs> of sheer numbers. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I have a, a good friend who kind of looks at algorithms and things like that. It's not my thing. I'm not really a <laughs> computer techie guy unless I'm uh, drafting, drawing up something for an airplane part. But um, he, he said that I got an interesting algorithm and it's almost all men and all kind of in the flying ages and kids uh, all the way up. Um, and uh, so I, th I think I, the base is almost all pilots. So um, I think it's a unique base. Uh, there's uh, if you're into automobiles, um, you may or may not, you know, follow along, but I'm starting to see a lot more of that. And I think Draco kind of caused that for, for the most part, it's, it's a reach to fellow pilots that just love aviation and, and Draco, as I started doing those videos, it was interesting. It kind of jumped from aviation to a few places because a lot of the people that make comments say, uh, I saw Draco on online on a different page or chat forum on a drag racing site. And it said, this is the drag racer of aircraft. Check it out. And, <laughs> and I think that unique reach, and it was on monster truck forums and all these unique areas that were into sport. Uh, high horsepower engine enthusiasts, and uh, you, oddly enough, um, I can't believe how many hundreds of those people um, reached out and told me they got their pilot's license because of that. I mean, I would have never understood um, what you know promoting or doing something on social media could end up doing. It's it's constantly. I I don't think I can go uh, a couple of days without someone sending me a letter. Uh, email or walking up to me in person and saying, I found you on such and such other uh, world of their enthusiasm, um, monster trucks, drag cars or whatever, and said, because of you, I came over and realized you can do this for fun. And I want you to know I got my pilot's license or they send me their cutaway shirt of their first solo for me to sign. And and it's just been unbelievable. I, I have just the, the love of pilots for each other passion um is is just remarkable it's been so fun well it really is amazing that uh, uh you're encountering people who really had the exact same epiphany you did uh that is that this is hey this is possible this is this is a thing and i think that's the you know 
as we talk about uh, EAA's mission of getting more people involved in aviation, I think that we'd all agree that first step is the biggest going from just that sort of going from uh, basically no knowledge to the light bulb moment where you say, wait a minute, I could actually do this. This is a thing that people do. It's accessible. Uh, If you you know, if you make good choices, it can be done. It can be it can be affordable and pursuable. Yeah, and 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 also that it's it's easier than um, than a lot of people think. Uh, you know, I, I think that was the, I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast before, but you know that was kind of it for me. Was I had always been interested in aviation, but I never thought I'd actually be a pilot because I thought, oh man, that's that's too steep a hill to climb. You know, skill wise finances wise all that stuff and then a buddy of mine learned to fly when we were in high school and i was like oh all right well maybe i can do this uh and 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 uh and that's what i think is is so awesome about about um social media channels like yours and stuff like that is is exactly what you just said i mean you're pulling in folks from not just the aviation community but uh the the tinkerer uh community um you know people who um you know are, are tuning their cars and stuff like that and they're like oh yeah airplanes i've always been interested in that i just never really thought about that yeah it's it's been it's been so fun um I, I, I can't believe the, uh, the reach. I, I see a quarter million people and I, I don't on, on viewership. And I think, um, I mean, that's, I think of it to myself, I think that's a small number, but I'm blown away at, um, how many people end up watching. That's a subscriber base. I think it's mostly airplane guys, but, um, the, the reach, if, if people are, if there's a couple million views on a video, the reach wasn't the quarter million subscriber base. The reach right. is literally millions of people. And um, if if I could say one thing that that makes me the most excited is to see how many more YouTubers are coming out in aviation. And I hope a, a hundred more of you turn up because um, if we can grow aviation and expand our family of pilots, uh, it just makes general aviation safer and better for everybody. It it opens up the industry. It brings in more new designs, more pilots, new everything. So I have this huge passion of grassroots growth of anything, whether it's business or anything else. And uh, there can't, couldn't be a better grassroots than social media and then sharing your passion or love of flight to everybody else. Because uh, like you said, there's this epiphany moment where somebody out there has no clue, maybe was never said once in their entire grade school, high school, college program that guess what? Tomorrow, you could be at an airport flying an airplane with your hands on the controls and the the instructor next to you letting go. And you can be one day away from one of the greatest experiences of your life. And, and the more people that are sharing that, the better it is for all of us and in expanding our family. That's so true. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear you make that point uh, because it's, you know, it's easy to sort of grumble about social media and oh, everybody's heads down on their phones or it's a waste of time or, you know, someone's addicted to Instagram or, or what have you. <laughs> but the uh, you you have to acknowledge the uh, the power of it. And, and as you said, it's it's uh, it's grassroots, but it's. You know, a hundred years ago, the the Pades of the world were flying Curtis Jennies and landing in farmers' fields and trying to sort of spread the word that way, and you know, and make a buck or two along the along the way. Um, but but you're going, they were going town by town at you know eighty miles an hour or something, <laughs> and for you to be able to reach you know that that many people, and, and the same for EA and our our social media reach uh, numbers in the multi millions as well. And it's uh, it's staggering to think, but if you cast that wide net and you get enough people interested, um, you know every new pilot, every new enthusiast, every new home builder uh, that comes out of that that you look at that would very likely never have thought of it, never have come across it, never been exposed to it before. Um, to my mind, it's it's absolutely worthwhile every time we get one victory and 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 we see multiple victories. Well, and it's also just the way that that media is evolving. I mean, you know, in in 
in past years, as you, you know, as you said, Hal, I mean, those barnstormers would be shown up in books and magazine articles. And, you know, there was Sky King, you know, how yes. many, how many, uh, how many pilots of a certain age do we know? Yep. Watch that as a kid, yep. right? The and, generation right before <laughs> mine all grew up on that. Yeah. And, and now it's YouTube. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's just the progression of things. Yeah. So fun. Are you two pilots? I'm. 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 I assume you are. It sounds like you both are. Yeah. Uh, yes, we both are. Christina is as well. So the whole crew here uh, today are pilots. Although I take exception to Tom talking about how easy it is, because that makes it really hard for me to be an elite jerk. Uh, <laughs> if everybody thinks flying is easy, um, no, but uh, no, it, it, it's uh, it's something we're all very very privileged to do, and and it's and how lucky we are to work in an organization that that exists to support and foster uh, and encourage that. Absolutely. So, uh, so Mike, after, uh, and I think everybody knows this, I don't think we need to go through and rehash it. Uh, you know, Draco came to a, to a kind of an, a, well, kind of came to an unfortunate end. Um, what came, what was it that was in your head and your heart, uh, whatever, after that, that said it's time to really do the next thing and and uh tell us about the genesis of 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 scrappy out of that sort of memory of draco yeah so um you know there wasn't even a flinch of a pause or of what needed to happen next um i grew up with some amazing parents that uh taught us um early on and every day of our lives that um you're gonna screw up and you're going to make mistakes and they're going to be your fault. And, um, and you're going to need to own up to it and, uh, pick yourself up as bad as it hurt. I mean, that was a rough day. I mean, <laughs> that's my, my heart and soul into that, uh, baby dragon of mine and absolutely, um, loved it. And, uh, but you know, even the, the, the moment, um, we got out of the plane and the dust was settling, uh, it was almost instinctive ingrained from my parents. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to dust off and man, we're going to build something better. And what are we going to learn from it? And what are we not going to do next time? And, um, you know, how do we, we pick up and charge forward? And I think what was the most important thing my parents ever taught me, and it's, it's been for business, for life, for, for aviation, for flight, for the mistakes with the, the Draco choices I made that ended up in its uh, crash, um, is that, Every mistake you make will take you one step further to a greater success and to never, um, you know, do your best not to make them. But when you do, lean into that mistake, learn from that mistake, and then turn to turn straight ahead, face it, and, and charge forward. And um, that has worked in business. I can't tell you how many times I've failed at different business models, different ideas, different concepts. Um, and it's, it's how fast can you, uh, stand up, dust yourself off and say, I'm not going to do that again and charge forward. And so, um, kind of scrappy immediately, um, was on my mind the very day, um, I was, uh, catching a commercial flight home to pick up a truck and trailer and sawzalls and bandsaws and tools to, to take Draco apart and haul it off the runway the entire way home. I was thinking, what am I going to build next? And, and how do we have fun with this? And uh, that was that's kind of the way you charge forward. And, and it's just, it makes me happy to, to, to be able to do that, to have that opportunity to have parents that said, don't wallow in it, learn from it. So what was kind of the, uh, I mean, apart from seemingly turning every detail of the airplane up to 11, what kind of was the design brief for Scrappy? <laughs> You know, um, the design brief, it's been like several other planes. There's been a bunch of planes that, uh, you know, I didn't do YouTube builds on. And someday I, I think I actually want to go ahead and do it. Um, some of my past builds, I still have uh, some of the racers. But really it was just, okay, here's an area of flight that I enjoy. Um, before it was racing and things like that. Some of my past builds, um, turbulence being one of my funnest fast builds. But then... Uh, and just saying, okay, how can I expand this for what I want? Aviation is so fun in that you can go so many directions and have a hundred different views from a hundred different people that are all convinced that the other path is the right path of what you should build. 
And the answer is every one of them are correct. And that's so great about kind of the design of Scrappy is I thought, you know, what do I want and, and how do I build it and what speeds and what do I want it to carry and what do I think is going to make it more fun and different and let's try it. May or may not work, um, but we're going to try it and see if we can come up with something different because without a doubt, um, there's going to be something learned from it and, uh, and then I'll build something else. And um, Scrappy has been uh, absolutely blew my mind. I'm, I'm so ecstatic <laughs> about how it turned out, how fun it is to fly and all its characteristics and, uh, and then things I want to do to improve on it and make it even better. And so um, Scrappy was all about, all right, I want to land in the mountains. I want to be able to loiter for 10 hours on the search and rescue missions I do and not and not be stuck uh, doing an hour and a half to two hour flight to the site we're looking for somebody and immediately turn around because I have no fuel. I wanted uh, I wanted to be able to land at 16,000 feet without worrying about having the power to get airborne in a short spot. Um, I wanted to carry motorcycles. There's a lot of things that this plane um, I wanted to have on it um, that I kept, <laughs> I kept really close to my chest. Because I, it, for me, it was fun to kind of build along and then have someone go, now, wait, what? And then <laughs> two weeks later, go, wait, are you kidding me? And two weeks later, go, are you kidding me? But from the very start, I had these little, uh, I'm not much of an artist and you, you may not be able to make out what I'm drawing, but, but uh, motorcycles hanging from the wings and uh, wings that change shape and solar systems uh, were all from the very, very start. And I think when I first started building, people thought, it's this giant motor. He's going to make a drag race to go win stole drag events. And and I just never commented. I just smiled and thought, well, <laughs> it's, it's going to be too heavy because I needed to pack a couple thousand pounds of weight and go anywhere for 10 hours. And uh, but, but it was fun to kind of let people see the evolution along the way. And it, it made me chuckle and laugh. And, 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 and also, quite frankly, to watch the comments – and the joy people found in the surprises along the way, um, it was it was just amazing. It, honestly, it's just magical to be able to share share a passion with a bunch of equally passionate people uh, about these little surprises along the way. It's just it's been so fun. Well, for those who uh, you know, those who don't know, let's let's go into a little bit more detail about uh, about what what Scrappy is. Now, Scrappy started life uh, as a, a carbon cup, correct? Was it an EX? Yeah, EX three. Uh, I had a I had a, a wrecked frame from somebody who uh, who wrecked a, a carbon cub. They were fine, uh, but it was bent up pretty bad. And I had another frame, um, and uh, and then I had a bunch of other parts around and so that's where the name scrappy came from and i used all the scrap parts i could find and then it became i started making scrap parts <laughs> <laughs> so we still call it scrappy even though it's it's truckloads of uh, custom machined aluminum <laughs> but yeah it started out it started out as a race engine from uh, one of my racers that raced at uh, reno um an eight cylinder like homing um that i had uh, hanging on a chain and uh, a, a carbon crub frame and some components and then a, a bunch of other, you know, things I had around the shop. That's where it started. Yes. Um, so there's there's so many details about the aircraft that uh, that we, we could get into. Um, maybe you mentioned the engine and I think that is a unique aspect of the uh, of the aircraft. So it's an it's a Lycoming IO 720, which uh, is not I. I I, I I was aware of the engine before I saw your aircraft, but it's not very common, is it? It was uh, it was used on like kind of like the 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 kind of almost the end of the of the piston cabin class aircraft era before all of those aircraft started going turbine, right? Yeah, that's correct, and it's uh it's uh the seven twenty um it's now actually the only seven eighty like homing in the world, so we kind of did a few tweaks to it. Um, we took a 720 block, which was kind of hard to find, a wide deck block. They had narrow and wide deck. Wide deck just mean it had a lot more aluminum in the in the case. And it allowed me to open it up and machine it so that I could bolt on the pistons that convert a Lycoming 360 to a 390 cubic inch, uh, bigger pistons, so the pistons could slide down through the sleeve. And um, And so we just modified the case to handle uh, bigger piston kits right from Lycoming. 
which made a 720, 780 cubic inches without stroking it. Uh, made my own uh, induction system, air boxes, custom tubes, uh, piping, uh, injection uh, mods, and then put on electronic ignition and uh, port polish, all the little fun details. But um, yeah, it's, it's the only one in the world, and um, it's an engine I always loved. And quite frankly, I'm going to try and bring it back. So <laughs> I, I, I truly believe it's one of the greatest engines that that was created right before the world started switching the bigger aircraft to turbines. And uh, I think it'd be great to bring it back to life and find a home for it. Um, I'm a real big fan of, uh, of big cubic inches, naturally aspirated um, aircraft. And so uh, I, I, I'd like to see a way to bring it back. So I'm going to see if I can do something about that. Have you heard from Lycoming themselves? Are they, uh, are they aware of what you hath wrought? <laughs> <laughs> I talk to Lycoming regularly. Um, I don't have any more information I can give than that, but I am, they're a fantastic company. They've been great to work with, and uh, I'm working on a, a future program, and we'll cross our fingers, and hopefully one day I'll get to talk about it, that potentially Intriguing. maybe there's a chance we can bring that back. Um, right now, I'm going to say that isn't something I'm not forecasting an absolute, but I am saying without a doubt, I'm trying to find a way to bring um, a wonderful, reliable 400 horsepower, normally aspirated motor back into uh, aviation, um, into some, into different aircraft. Now, this is kind of an interesting um, jump for you because, of course, you gained uh, notoriety by sticking a turbine engine in a uh, in a in a formerly piston uh, aircraft, the Wilga, um, and now you're uh, now you're kind of going. Um, now, now you're stretching the limits of what's possible with a piston engine. What was um, what what were kind of your what was kind of your calculus there going piston versus turbine? Yeah, that one's really easy. I mean, everything's numbers. I I live on a calculator um, into the wee <laughs> hours of the morning. I don't know how my, my wife's gotten used to my fingers running buttons uh, sitting uh, sitting in bed, but. Um, it really just comes down to the simple, most basic uh, math on a combustion engine. You can make about 13 uh, horsepower for every gallon of fuel in a combustion engine because you're in an uh, enclosed environment when the combustion happens with closed valves. Uh, a turbine, because it's blades and there is no closing chamber, you're compressing air against blades against blades. And because of that, there's a, a level of efficiency that's hard to obtain. And then the blades are twisted to optimize a very specific altitude. And so that's why you see so many different variants. So I spent a lot of time on the chart plot datas from all the different turbine engines uh, manufactured. Every, every one made and every chart plot data I could get my, a hold of, of altitudes and efficiencies. And if you really simplify it down to the basics, uh, base specific fuel consumption, a turbine really can only do about 10 horsepower for every gallon of fuel it consumes. So if you, if you use that basic math, there's 30% more efficiency in a piston and on a plane that I'm using for search and rescue, um, I wanted loiter time. And where it, and it sounds like, you know, some may say, well, 30% is not that big of a deal. But let me tell you where it really is. A combustion engine, you're able to pull it clear down to 50% power, 30% power, and still be right near its peak efficiency capability. But a turbine, when you pull the power back, you start to unload the pressure built between the different sections, stages of the turbine blades, and the efficiency curve falls off drastically. For example, a turbine engine, if I wanted to pull it back in a plane like Scrappy and loiter at only 60 miles an hour trying to find someone in thick trees, I would still be consuming on the same aircraft. 27 to 30 gallons an hour if I was flying like a, a, a small frame PT-6 because I'm wow. so low that I'm not building any compression against the blades, which means now I'm, I'm making a micro fraction of that horsepower per gallon an hour fuel flow. And so it doesn't have that wide curve. It's perfect for get up and go, unbelievable, reliable horsepower, high altitude cruising. It was really great for Draco as well. Um, but if I wanted to slow it way down, 
suddenly I'm burning more than twice the fuel and my 10 hour capability that Scrappy has moves to four hours of capability. And that's, that was the difference. Um, I love turbine. You know, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I'm going to make some upgrades on Scrappy for fun. I'm going to twin turbo it and I'll fly it for a while. And if I end up building another search and rescue machine, it wouldn't surprise me if one day I said, yeah, let's try a turbine again. Yeah. I, it, it for right now is perfect for what I have, but it's all about data. It's, it's, that's, that was the driver. It's just, how do I get high horsepower, go high, and, and keep the efficiency to loiter around for 10 hours. That is really remarkable. Is there anything else out there comparable uh, that could be used in the search and rescue mission that, that has a loiter time like that? Um, not, I, I can't think of anything that's going to loiter for 10 hours. There's some military aircraft, obviously. Um, I've been doing search and rescue now. My twin brother and I, Mark, both have Utah County Search and Rescue. We're both uh, sheriffs here in the Valley, volunteer, unpaid. It's, it's, that's one of our greatest labor of loves. Um, I, I hope to do it uh, every breathing breath I have the rest of my life. It's, it's fantastic. And of all the aircraft I have flown over the years, um, typically – we're about four-hour limit. Even uh, with our helicopter, we've got a Bell 206 or a helicopter before it. Um, we're usually looking about three hours max um, wow. and then time to get back. Uh, I mean, total, total time landing with reserve. And so there have been applications where we spent 80% of the search time commuting and 20% on spot. And um, if I can spend... If it, you know, that you change a search where you only had 30 minutes on spot and all of a sudden you go out there with Scrappy, I could spend five hours on spot. I can literally do four or five equivalent days of searching on one fill up in Scrappy um, that I could do making trips back and forth several hours. I, I do two runs a day and the clock, the days end um, and, and have maybe an hour on spot. So it's, it's just, it's about, it's about that time on location that uh, is, is where I went for this piston engine. That's incredible. That's orders of magnitude improvement. That's, that's not a percentage. That's just mind-blowing. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a game changer. And um, I haven't uh, had any of those long-distance um, searches since I finished Scrappy, but they're coming. I've been doing this long enough, and they just every now and then you have that one where the biggest obstacle is distance and time. And, uh, and uh, so many of the recoveries we've done, um, good and bad, um, the, the good recoveries, I can't tell you how often and how close and scary the situation was that uh, if you think about if you didn't get them that day, they wouldn't have gone home to their family has happened countless times and it continues to happen. And so um, it was. It was something always on our minds when we'd go up in an aircraft on a search. Was how much fuel do I have? How long can I be on spot? And how do I milk every last minute of efficiency out of what I'm flying? And so that was kind of the premise of of how do, how do I do this with Scrappy? And you you just can't throw weight in an aircraft and be okay with it. You know, you're you you stu you need to you need to change everything. And so. Scrappy from the bottom up needed to be a much heavier, robust aircraft to handle, you know, these situations. One of the most interesting parts of the aircraft, uh, I think, is the is the variable um, variable camber system you've come up with with the extendable leading edge. Can you talk a little bit a little bit about how you came up with that and how it works? Yeah, I'd I'd love to. I, I that was something um, late at night, and let let me tell you. Um, I failed a lot. So this will go back to the, the <laughs> if you ever want to succeed in life, fail a lot <laughs> and keep failing and keep failing until it works. Um, the idea was easy. The idea was just based on basic uh, aerodynamic airfoil um, efficiencies. And it was, how do I make a, wi a wing that can flatten its camber line and roll where the air intersects the front of the wing up higher so that in cruise flight, I'm a faster aircraft because we all want, I mean, here's the general, we've all heard it a hundred times. You can make a fast airplane, you can make a slow airplane, pick one or pick one that's in the middle or pick one over here, or pick one over there. You can't have both. And this phrase, um, you can't have both. Um, it's true, kind of. 
You can't have both if the wing holds its shape. That's just the laws of physics. We have to fly and design and engineer within the laws of physics. And, um, and so my thought was every time someone said you can't have both when I was building a racer or something else, I thought, well, you can if we reshape it in flight to the new configuration. And so I always had these ideas, and that's kind of where it came from. It came from someone saying you can't have it quite frankly. <laughs> and that's the premise of, of a lot of the things I try and do is if someone says, man, it'd be cool if you could do this, but you can't do it. And uh, there were a lot of the, the comments, like some of the things I want to do said can't be done. And it just makes me go, maybe not. I, it may not work. I'm going to try it anyway. Um, but, the, but that was it. And, and really, the idea of a double leading edge started out as how far can I get the wing forward to counteract the pitching moment of the flap? Um, and what started that backed up one step further is I want a really big flap. But the bigger the flap you have, the more it pitches the nose of the plane down. So the bigger and bigger the flap, the more and more pitch. There's a point when suddenly your elevator doesn't hold the nose up because of the pitch. Well, now you go a bigger and bigger elevator, makes the plane slower and slower. So now how do I get a bigger elevator to counteract the pitch? Well, I started to think there's a point when there's this diminishing return that has been done on Cub style aircraft for 50 years. And I thought, you know what, we've kind of reached all these envelopes and people have pushed their plane to go better this direction, it does better that direction. I thought, you know what, why don't we change how the air, the wing lifts and, and where that pitching moment is counteracted. And that's where I got the idea of let's, let's grow the wing forward, not just a retractable slat. We've seen those. And I said, let's see what the airlines have done and how they grow theirs forward and droop it down. Uh, it's a single device. Well, how big can I make a single device? And, and, I, and a single device could only go so far. And um, they started to let go of the air as I did a flow analysis on it. And then I said, okay, if we go a double device, can we have one that's connected to the wing, that the, the device against the wing is contacting the wing, but the forward one is a slat. So I reshape the wing and I have a, a retractable slat. And I did a lot of flow analysis on that. And that one actually started to show some pretty exciting promise. So basically it would have not been what Scrappy has, um, but it would have been the wing would have reshaped down and forward, but the first section would have stayed connected. It would have stayed tight to the, to the top of the wing and the leading edge slat would have moved. But then what I found is as I made a larger and larger arc on the camber of the wing, um, the air started to detach uh, at a certain point. The, the camber became too high with one slat. And the slat made it go much further. Slats work. They're amazing. Um, we all know that. Uh, but they can slow you down, which is why I want it to retract. And, uh, and the second, uh, the, the moment I decided to try two leading edge devices is when it got really exciting on the flow analysis because I was able to start accelerating air um, between one slat and the second slat and then combining the way I pitched those slats to hyper accelerate the air when the two met and came over the top of the extra high arcing camber line on the top of the wing. Uh, and uh, I started to really watch that air carry further and further back. And once I got onto that phase, I thought, you know what, I'm not sure I even be believe this flow analysis. <laughs> it's absolutely blowing my mind that I'm getting this much further than a, a drooping wing, a slatted drooping wing, a blend of the two, and then a double. And, and that's kind of was, was it. It was, it was really, um, you know, how do I reshape a wing? That's it, where it's where it started, and that was kind of the evolution process. Now, how do you manage all this from the the cockpit? Do you have a? It sounds like it could be this really really complex sort of dizzying array of controls. Yeah, so that was a big concern because um, if you deployed the double leading edge slats, uh, not in a synced configuration with the back you could create some dynamic challenges for the pilot and workload when you're coming into a landing configuration in a tree mountaintop environment without a runway. And that's the last thing you want to do. I, I want to have the simplest plane ever. And so that became one of the most laborious and I can't tell you how many hours I have on it. I worked on those wings since the day uh, I started Scrappy. I was designing and 
and drafting wings, and it didn't show up until you know so much later. Um, it, I needed to find a way to take the pilot workload out, and I not only wanted to take it out. I don't even like when I'm coming into land, and Draco is an example. And there's nothing wrong with this; it's just status quo, and it works great, and you get used to it. But but when you reach from your throttle to a flap handle, and back to your throttle, and back to your flap handle. I, I didn't even want to do that, let alone a throttle to a leading edge slat, to a flap, to a drooping aileron, to a second leading edge slat. I, I just thought that's going to just be um, an accident waiting to happen on a workload that shouldn't be put on anybody. Even if I've designed it and I understand it, um, there was too many places where the dynamics of pitching moment would get too out of control um, if I put the front out without the back and vice versa. And so really it became a game of how do I make a single motor that would deploy a flap, move everything in perfect harmony so that as the flaps go further and further back, the slats go further out and further down appropriately to match those movements so that you don't get an increased pilot workload and simultaneously have the ailerons droop accordingly at the same time. So my ailerons droop at about 50% of the movement of the double slotted flaps. And then the two leading edge devices move at two different speeds. The, lead, the forward leading edge has to move at twice the rate of the second leading edge. So there's one, two, three, four devices per wing all moving at different speeds so that no matter where you stop a single movement control, they're all appropriately positioned. And that was, uh, I, I, I can't describe how long that took. It was an unbelievable amount of uh, computing hours. I bought more computers. I had two computers running analysis at the same time and they'd work for 14 hours by themselves, smoking out the backside of them. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'd, I'd look at the, the analysis the next day of the two computers and then we'd reconfigure and do it again. Uh, it, was, it was actually, uh, it was fun, a lot of work, but, uh, but an absolute blast. And uh, so the way you manipulate these, and I probably got really long-winded and my, I apologize, I get, I get excited about airplanes and describing it, but um, the, the way you deploy them is on my throttle handle. I machined my own little billet throttle handle and machined in a snap-in socket for a thumb trigger that runs my flaps. And so as a pilot, if I didn't tell you all that noise about all these things happening at once, <laughs> um, all you need to know is uh, your throttle's in, in your hand, and on it is your flap trigger. That's all you need to know. And you don't need to take your hand off your th throttle to run your flap. You put your flap wherever you are. You still use a single uh, color coding on your Garmin screen that tells you where you can deploy your flaps at how many degrees at what speed. You look at that and you run your flap. That's all you think about. Run your flap. It does the rest. And uh, that took away the pilot workload. And the mechanics of it are there is only one motor and this was the most critical component. I couldn't have one component move without the other. So everything is directly bolted together and driving off one motor. If something stopped, it all stops and everything's on ball bearings, so there isn't a situation that you could have one component move without the other. That That's so amazing. I, I, I think it's it's really interesting listening to you talk about the the build process and all of the uh, the innovations that you made in, in in terms of how the systems work and how they're tied together and all of the testing that you did and the modeling online. To me, honestly, it's... It, it's um, it kind of sounds like a throwback to the uh, the earlier days of EAA when, you know, if you wanted a particular type of aircraft, you went out and designed it. And, you know, it was mostly engineering types that were doing this, um, you know, and kit aircraft were less common. You know, mo a lot of the people who were showing up to uh, EAA conventions were coming with aircraft that they designed themselves. Yeah, I, I actually, I look back, I spend... You know, when you're trying to move forward to the future or something new in flight and aviation, um, you always look back, and whether it's aviation or anything else, you always look back to try and make a better future. And um, I, I can't tell you how much research I do in the past. And, and uh, a lot of people have asked me, you know, who's your, your hero in aviation? Who, who do you look up to in aviation? And um, 
I, I actually, and there's a lot of names that I could say that I look up to, and they're big names, and you've heard them a hundred times, and I do look up to every one of them, the, you know, the great pilots and, and aviators out there. I'm, I'm just a marvel and, and awe at what they did with the technology they had. But for me, um, I look back at the guys where there was a hundred guys in a room with a teeny tiny desk and pencils and, and drafting boards, and they actually created some of the coolest things we have ever seen on planet Earth with a pencil and a slide rule. And those guys are my heroes in aviation. They, they blow my mind. The, the visionaries that sat behind a desk and just created some of these, the, the P-51 Mustangs and all these historic, unbelievably light years jump in aviation that happened um, in that generation. And sadly, I... I I feel like we're losing that uh, some of that spirit um, of of go for it, try it, test it. I mean, if you look at some of the videos about uh, aircraft people made and and umbrella looking things that jumped up and down and bounced <laughs> in the dirt, you'll you'll laugh because you go, oh my gosh, how did that guy ever think that flies? I watch some of these videos like that and I'm inspired. I'm like that guy had the courage to try something that insane. It's easy today to look back and say, there's no way that thing was going to fly. But son of a gun, you're my hero. That guy is my hero. And he probably was the one that today would have been online and had the most hate, the most <laughs> negative comments, the most bashing. It will never work um, pessimism. And that guy's my hero. And even if it never worked, I look back at history and applaud all of those engineers and dreamers that failed and say, where are they? We need more of them because every single one of those atrocities or brilliant accomplishments absolutely boomed aviation. Someone saw someone's wild idea and said, you know what? Everyone's making fun of that guy, but it made me think, what if he had done this or that? And, and those are my heroes in, in aviation, and I'm, and I'm hoping we can build that base of dreamers that aren't afraid to, to try it and aren't afraid to be made fun of or, or poked at or or, uh, or or laughed at when they throw an idea out there to the public that that they're passionate about and believe in, and have uh, 95 out of 100 comments rip them apart. That's my favorite guy. I love that guy, and his idea may truly suck. <laughs> I mean, it, may, it, it may truly suck, but he's he's going for it. Like I love him, and you know we. So I, you know, I'm I'm cheering for those guys to just show up. So if, if any of you are out there watching this podcast, I'm I'm gonna plead with you, beg with you, all of you, your craziest, mad, nutty ideas you have about what might make something fly, whether it's a rubbery wing that you can twist, or I don't care what it is, I could make up a hundred crazy ideas. Go for it. Just go for it. Don't get yourself hurt. Be smart, but don't be afraid to try and absolutely count on failing and then get up and do it again because um, I can't tell you. It's, it is the absolute premise of every success I have had in business and life and building aircraft is, is, is applauding and cheering the craziest of ideas. So if you're listening... Get off your butts and get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can think of uh, I can think of no better way to wrap this episode, uh, Mike. And I don't mind saying uh, that, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, your ideas do not suck. Um, <laughs> it's been uh, it's been so exciting to uh, to watch uh, to to along with so many other people to have a front row seat to watch you develop and watch you think and experiment and try. And, uh, and your attitude um, about dusting yourself off and failing as many times as you can until you get it right uh, really is an inspiration. And I, uh, I, 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 I know you're reaching 
as we said earlier, you're reaching literally millions of people out there with that message, and it's doing a lot for aviation. Uh, now, we've just barely scratched the surface of uh, Scrappy in this episode, but I'm really excited to say that the January 2022 issue of Sport Aviation will feature Scrappy on the cover, and uh, very, very proud that EA Sport Aviation Magazine has the exclusive first in-depth uh, look at the airplane. Uh, so, if you're an EA member, uh, as we're recording this in mid-December, uh, you're just about uh, maybe 10 days away from the digital edition, two, two and a half weeks away from seeing it in your mailbox. If you're not an EA member, uh, wow, be like Mike. You know, <laughs> I just I just accidentally invented a slogan. This is why I don't work in marketing. But hey, uh, please do think about joining. You can head to ea.org/join uh, and get on board so you can uh, so you can read that story when it comes out. It's it's really been terrific. And uh, I also need to point out in terms of housekeeping that. Uh, uh, EAA staff, and that includes uh, us here on the Green Dot, will be taking a uh, uh, some time off for the holidays. So the Green Dot uh, will take a break. Uh, this episode is scheduled to release on the 16th of December. And our next one will be back, uh, back in iTunes and everywhere else to get your podcasts on January 13th of 2022 uh, with uh, astronauts Hoot Gibson and Charlie Precourt. Uh, so that's, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Charlie's been on the show with us before, but it's our first time with, uh, with Hoot, and it's always, uh, it's always a ton of fun to talk to some, some astronauts. So, Mike, thank you very much uh, for taking time to join us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, I really appreciate it. If I, if I could put out one, one word to everybody out there, if you got just a minute more, is that okay? Absolutely. Uh, Cho- choose this word carefully, though. Uh, you know, I you're will. reaching an audience of, of dozens. <laughs> fantastic. Well, um, it, I want everybody out there, there's a lot of people ask me what they can do to support aviation and grow aviation. And uh, uh, EAA just touched on that. You know, go sign up for all of the subscriptions you can, the magazines that are out there, and and I even plead if you have a little, uh, if you have a little money and you're and you love aviation, sign up to everything you can in aviation. It's not much money, but I'm telling you, it's channels like this, it's it's broadcasting, it's the magazines, it's the guys that are putting out websites in an industry that, quite frankly, is small. Um, and support every one of them and go support all those YouTubers and uh, follow along and, uh, and, and put out a little bit of money into a, into a, into a family we love because uh, it keeps them going, it keeps us going, and everything they do brings more pilots in. So um, if you aren't already doing it, uh, uh, join, join us all in, in uh, helping every one of them out. And, and you guys, thank you for having me. I love all you guys, everybody that's out there pushing aviation and those that are following on my my channels, I have uh, some really fun secret things coming, some new aircraft I have designed, and um, though I'm not putting out as many uh, YouTube right now, it's been crazy busy, I will continue to do it. I do have some fun aircraft coming, so um, come back, and uh, EA, I hope you will uh, have me another time, and we can continue a discussion to, to expand aviation in our family. Oh, that would be our privilege and our pleasure, Mike. Uh, thank you once again. This has been terrific. And thanks, as always, to everyone out there for listening. Uh, we say it every time. The only reason we're able to do this show is because uh, we know that it resonates with people and uh, people are kind enough to uh, give us feedback. You can comment on each uh, episode as it goes up on our blog, inspired.ea.org. You can leave reviews on iTunes and other places where you consume your podcasts. You can also send email directly to feedback at ea.org and let us know uh, uh, how we're doing or give us some suggestions or give us some uh, some feedback on what we can do in future episodes. Uh, but with that, uh, we thank you all once again. Please keep listening. Please keep the reviews and the comments coming. And we'll catch up to you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>